If we lose freedom here, there's no place to escape to. This is the last stand on Earth. And welcome to All Things Sane. I think we're live. audio this morning, but uh, I am glad to be back on. I am your host, State Representative Jason Sane. Uh, great to be with you today. Had a great show last week. Had Jeff Tart, candidate for state auditor. We're going to talk to a number of candidates here in this marathon uh, to a, to a uh, uh, March when we get to our presidential primary, but also primaries for folks of state house, state senate, and and people who are running statewide and and local as well. We'll get a lot of those folks on air uh, so that you'll get a, a chance to meet them, find out what makes them tick. Later in the show, we're going to have Dr. Grant Campbell. He's running for state house, District eighty three. Uh, excited to talk to him. Longtime friend. Be great, great opportunity to hear uh, a fresh perspective on someone running for the state house. But before we get to that, uh, we, we it is primary time, and joining the show uh, again, he's been on the show before, uh, Stephen Wiley. He's the caucus director for the House Caucus. He works with me and other House GOP members that uh, as as we uh, once we get elected, but also he's in charge of our reelection effort and our recruitment effort, and so. A little bit of controversy, as happens uh, most every election filing cycle. Uh, Stephen, you're you're in the insider today, and and you know I woke up to this quote, and I didn't necessarily expect to see it, but maybe I should have. But uh, you're quoted as saying Democrats decided they they wanted a Nazi in the Republican primary. Uh, interesting quote. Uh, I, I know a little bit of the detail behind it, but mm-hmm. tell us a little bit about that. What's happening? Yeah. Uh, so essentially. Um, We've got some standards um, in state law about who who is eligible to run, who's not, and really it comes down to um, are are you eligible to be a registered voter in North Carolina? And if you are, you're eligible to run for office with some other stipulations like you know do you need to live in the district that you're running for for a certain amount of time and things like that. Um, and um, there are some reasons to for someone to not be eligible to vote. Um, being a convicted felon who has not completed all of their um, probationary sentence or anything tied to that, which includes um, any fees or fines that are related to that, um, that can preclude someone being registered to vote. And um, up in Rockingham County, up on the Virginia line, um, there's this gentleman who ran last time, but we just we didn't catch it because of how crazy the filing period was um, back in 21 and 22. Um, we saw that he filed again and he had a number of felony convictions and spent a lot of time in jail um, in the 1990s and 2000s for those felony convictions. Um, and so we did the investigation we could in the limited amount of time because you only have 10 calendar days from the close of filing um, to actually submit um, your, a candidate challenge uh, on someone that's, that's on the ballot. So it was really till Christmas day, we had to submit it. Um, and there, we had a couple hearings and the initial hearing January 3rd with the county board that unanimously voted to remove him from the ballot. Um, he then appealed to the state board and that's where um, the, the um, silliness really hit another level. Um, and um, so it's, it's, it's pretty much devolved from there and every day has been a new adventure and finding out new things about just how um, uh, low quality of an individual this gentleman is. Um, we, we found out the night of January 3rd after 12 hours after the hearing that um, he's a, a neo-Nazi or at, at best, you know, at best, I use that term loosely, um, a Hitler fetishist. Um, so clearly a lot of issues and, um, but, you know, 
for the First Amendment protects people um, from having you know those extreme views, and, and they can still run for office. And so for us, the the closest weapon to hand that we we had to fight him being on the ballot was his string of felony convictions, um, and the, just the revelation that he was a neo-Nazi added a whole layer of political intrigue on top of it and made everything really, really complicated. Well, it certainly comes as unexpected. Uh, what really is unexpected is that the state board has made the the, the action that they've taken, I guess it was yesterday, mm-hmm. uh, to, to allow him to move forward. Because as I understand it, and when I, when I fill out my paperwork, and, you know, I, God knows I'm not perfect on, on paperwork, but I do try to get my filing right, right? right. And um, um, it, they asked the question, and you tell me if, I, if I'm remembering incorrectly, but it was, mm-hmm. what, a month ago that I filed. Uh, I had to check a box that said, I, you know, I've not been convicted of any felonies. Uh, I attest to that. And if if I attest otherwise, if, I, if I'm essentially not being truthful, uh, that too could probably be a felony, I think, or at least it's it's against the law. So um, is that not an issue here as well? If he's been convicted of felonies and didn't check it? It absolutely is. And the question is, have you ever been convicted of a felony? Um, and that was a big sticking point in the second county level hearing where he claimed, I mean, he, he started out the, his testimony saying he'd been convicted of zero felonies ever, but then 15 minutes, he admitted to five. I mean, those were just five that he admitted to within 15 minutes. There were more. Um, and the, the, the question became with that part is, um, he, he knowingly lied on his candidate filing where he checked no, um, and, in his, the previous time he filed, he only said he had been convicted of one, maybe two felonies, certainly not all of them. Um, and so the statute, it's kind of from what I, my layman's perspective is there's kind of a gray area about um, the process for if someone makes a mistake, like a typo, like misspelling their name, giving the wrong address, giving the wrong year versus uh, knowing, uh, knowingly lying. And the statute could be silent on whether someone lying is grounds for them to be you know, removed from the ballot or anything like that. Um, the next step we would have after all of this would be to uh, um, a- appeal to the NC Court of Appeals, but time is just an issue. Ballots have to be printed, I believe, today. Um, and so just the, you know, time is the biggest resource that we all have um, or, or need. And with you know, early voting beginning in what, four or five weeks from today, or from tomorrow, and then yeah. the election itself being seven or eight weeks away. It's just time is not on our side for this, and so it's it's likely that um, I mean it's all, all but assured that Mr. Gibson will be on the ballot. Um, and then Representative Pertle beat him eighty to twenty percent last time, and I'd be shocked if it's anything um, if, if it's anywhere remotely close. Uh, I think Representative Pertle will will beat him once again. Retired police uh, chief respected member of the community and you couldn't have two bigger contrasts. So. I'd sure say you couldn't have a, a bigger contrast between the two candidates. I, I am interested to get your opinion and, and we've got about a minute and a half, but um, uh, on the fact that and I know when filing ended, uh, the, the state democratic party came out bragging that they had filed someone for every office, right? Uh, which there's no primary here. Uh, they'd f- filed challengers. Right. So there's no primary here. One, they were absolutely incorrect because I didn't I didn't get a challenger in either the primary or the, or the general. Uh, glad of that. But but then Representative Pirtle uh, only had a primary challenger. So to say that, hey, 
we're, we didn't, um, we, or we recruited people all across the state in every office. Is there any chance that this, this guy might've been recruited by the other side just to, to cause confusion and, and wreak havoc like this? I mean, I, you know, I mean, it, it's, it, it's been said. Right. I mean, we, we, I'd be curious to know who their, who their alleged recruit in Rockingham County that they were claiming had filed for more than a week after filing closed was, if it's not, not him, I, you know, I'll give him benefit out that maybe it's not him, but like, let's find out like who they're, who they're claiming credit for in this race of two people. They're not going to claim Pirtle. Um, and then, you know, let's, we know that Roy Cooper's DGA um, medals in Republican primaries, they, they spent heavily um, in Republican governor primaries in 2022. It's not necessarily beneath them to do it again. So we'll see. Well, it's, it's always interesting. We'll have you back on the show, kind of get an update as soon as we can. You're listening to All Things Sane here on WSIC. Stephen Wally, thanks for being here today. Thanks for having me. There's more All Things Sane with NC Representative Jason Sane on the way from 1059 100.7 WSIC. If we lose freedom here, there's no place to escape to. This is the last stand on earth. And welcome back. You're listening to All Things Sane here on WSIC. Uh, I am your host, State Representative Jason Sane. Remote today from home. I uh, got a lot of things going on in the district, and, and that short drive across the lake uh, or toward the lake was not going to uh, work for this morning. But I, but nevertheless, through the power of technology, we're able to do the show and glad to do it. Uh, as you know, if you're a regular listener, sometimes you catch me in Raleigh, sometimes you catch me traveling somewhere else, either on uh, legislative business or personal business. Turns out you do have to have a side hustle if you're a legislator in North Carolina uh, and still trying to make a little bit of money to keep your family afloat. So uh, uh, we do it from anywhere we're at. And today I'm, I'm doing it from right here in District 97 in Lincoln County. Uh, I've got a meeting uh, at my office just in a short little bit and then uh, over to Gaston College on a healthcare meeting. So um, nevertheless, that is the life of a legislator. Uh, glad to let you have a little sneak peek of that. Uh, if you're listening to the morning show this morning, Justin was talking about how we, we at least try to break it down and explain it. But it is election season, and we are in a, uh, quite frankly, a, a, a compacted time for what would normally be an elongated process for, for primaries. Uh, and the reason being, because it's a presidential election year. Joining me on the show right now, I've got my good friend, Dr. Grant Campbell, who is running, if I got the district right, Grant, uh, it is District 83, uh, which uh, consists of Cabarrus. And is it all Cabarrus? No, it's about 40% Cabarrus and about 60% Southern Rowan County. Right. That's right. And uh, I don't have my notes in front of me. I, th I thought I'd remember it, but uh, but knowing you for a long time, I don't have your bio in front of me, but our listeners should know. Uh, you're, you're no stranger to public service. Uh, you, you serve three tours in the middle of e in the Middle East. Uh, you're a physician, uh, combat veteran, uh, that got your hands dirty, uh, on our behalf. And, and for that, we appreciate that, sir. But then after you left the military, you came back, uh, of course, uh, we're in private practice and, uh, have been in that for, uh, since coming back. Uh, you were, you're a Chapel Hill guy, uh, went, went to school at Chapel Hill. We forgive you for that. Uh, no, I'm just kidding. But uh, now my son loves him, so uh, I guess there's there's some redeemable qualities there. It's uh, particularly Coach Davis. But now, nah, man, it is great to have you on the show. And you're running. Uh, you do have a primary, but you're running. You were you were a candidate last cycle for a hot minute. Uh, then some people went to court and didn't like our district, so we had to redraw. And now you're you're back again. So you're running. Glad to have you on the show. Well, thank you, Jason, for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. 
Well, you, you do have an, an interesting uh, career and will bring a lot of different perspective to the legislature. Uh, I, you know, you're, you're one of the few doctors I get in a room with and, and my heart rate doesn't go up. And uh, so you don't make me nervous, which is nice. Uh, but, uh, but, you know, look, ha, you know, having someone with, with your background, uh, both from, from your military service, uh, from, from your, from your uh, service as, as a physician, and, and then also your service, you're the vice chair of the community college board. Is that correct in North Carolina? That is correct. I'm proudly serving. I'm a big fan of the great 58 campuses that we have. We do have some marvelous campuses. Like I said, I'm going to Gaston College uh, this afternoon for a meeting on health care. I find myself over there a good bit. And they've got a campus in Lincoln and a, ca- a campus in Gaston. Uh, so it's not just Gaston College, but I, I think we'll stick with the name. We don't want to confuse everybody. But uh, but great, great work there. I've done a lot of, uh, you know, in my background, it's uh, a lot of my uh, school work. I did uh, classes in the summer uh, when I was going to school at, at both NC State and UNC Charlotte. I pick up a class or two, which would help lighten my load. But I uh, also got my firefighter certifications at Gaston College and at <laughs> Cleveland uh, and also McDowell. So, but you you own that in that position as as vice chair, vice president of the the community college system. Um, you deal a lot with workforce, and we know that if a state's growing like ours, workforce is going to be key to what we're talking about. I agree. And look, I'll probably show my bias and my love for the community college system, but I think that that system is probably positioned better than anyone to help meet those workforce needs um, with the flexibility and the rapidity that it needs to. And the good thing is, you know, we can start seeing industries that are coming into the state. You know, we're number one state for businesses, what, two years in a row, I believe now. And uh, we can identify those even before they open their doors to start letting the citizens of the state take advantage of that economic growth to get them trained uh, to have those job opportunities. And um, we've got a great group in the community college system office. We get great assistance from the Department of Public Instruction as well. But it's a good problem to have is that when you have that kind of huge demand for workforce to be filled, it's an opportunity to allow people in the state to have the opportunity to get jobs that pay significantly more than they're paying now. And we have to be able to meet them where they are. And sometimes that means getting training and education programs in the evening or on the weekends. The vast majority of our students in the community college system are adult learners that that have a career and a job already. And they're not in a situation with with their family finances. They can just quit work to to get a certification. So we have to be flexible with them because I'm all for economic growth, but I want the primary beneficiaries of that economic growth to be the citizens that are already here. Well, that's an excellent point. And, you know, I can remember growing up, uh, you know, on, on certain nights of the week that my mom was was in healthcare. She had worked at the hospital uh, here locally and then had worked for several doctor's offices. Uh, and that was her her initial training at a, at a CVCC. Uh, but then she decided she wanted to get into real estate and made a career out of that. We were we were young kids at the time, and uh, you know this is this is where we learned that my dad wasn't that great of a cook at night. Uh, but but nevertheless, uh, we we suffered through it. But it but it really spoke to you're speaking to what what was the experience for my family, right? It was an an opportunity for for my mom who was working a day job, uh, would come home quickly and and then go 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 to school at night. And, right. and to get her real estate certifications, uh, she's a real estate appraiser. Uh, she did most of that work at Gaston College uh, and, and various other community colleges in, in our area. We're, we're blessed that we have uh, several that are an easy drive from Lincoln County. 
Uh, but but that that speaks to exactly what you're talking about. Is it's it's not just for economic growth. It is for economic opportunity uh, for families all across the state. And I think I think that's strong. But I also think you know we get people we you know from different walks of life at the legislature, and that may not have been their experience, and they may not understand it completely. Doesn't make them bad people. Doesn't make them not experts on something else. Just means that may not have been their experience. And I think your your understanding of that and what community college system can mean for somebody, uh, for a family, for for an individual, uh, I think is huge. Uh, I know that that we have um, uh, opportunities for with our school where our son goes to school, uh, his high school uh, partners with Gaston College, and he can he can actually get a, a certification. Uh, really, before he ever graduates, and I, I think that which I, I want him to do, because uh, I always tell him, "So look, have a have a mar- marketable skill, have something that someone will always need, uh, regardless of what you do. You you might still go on to a four year institution and do whatever it is you want to do to achieve your dreams, but but making sure you you touched on something, uh, making sure that in a, say it a different way, but making sure that we're nimble so that we can meet you know the market needs, so that understand that that I always call myself an adult learner. Uh, I'm I'm always learning something new, and it might be trade wise, trade skill wise, or whatever. Um, but but we have to be there to to be able to accommodate our citizens so that we can stay ahead of the curve. I agree, and I think that flexibility is key. I, I'll give you a perfect example: is there's several community college uh, campuses that they have line worker programs, and there's such a huge demand for certain things like line workers and welders and things like that. We have 18 year old students that can start that program. It is an 18 month program. And usually by month nine, all of them already have a job offer that's sealed up. And these folks are starting at 80 to $90,000 a year. And so I I think we've got to get the word out at some of these career opportunities that are out there to get that excellent pay, find out their needs to get them trained. You know, how I got involved initially with the community college system was we had my guys coming out of the military and we were having difficulty with educational institutions and certification bodies recognizing the training that they already had. And I'll give you an example, my combat medics that worked as paramedics under fire, but when they got out of the military, they weren't even certified to be an EMT. Well, the problem with that is not only the economic opportunity, but these guys were using all of their GI Bill money to take classes and certifications that they already knew. And so by the right. time they were certified, certified for skills that they already had, their GI Bill money was gone. So when it was time to actually do some upward mobility for economic opportunity, they didn't have any more educational funds. And almost all the campuses are kind of getting involved with that. But Federal Tech was probably the, the standard bearer. And uh, economic opportunity with the workforce, it's it's wide open right now, and, and I got to put a plug in for the legislature. You guys have been our partners in this. Y'all have been supportive in every way we've asked, and it's just great to see people get that kind of opportunity. Well, glad to do it. I, you know, like I say, there we do. There's many of us who understand the need, and um, and even if they don't come to it, understanding it uh, as we learn more, uh, as the feedback that we get with the, the folks that we appoint to these boards, like you, uh, who who you know, provide us valuable feedback. It's not just a, it's not a money suck. Uh, we get a lot in return, you know, a lot in government. Sometimes you, you wonder if you're, if you're getting something in return for it. Uh, that's never the case really with the community college system. And I think ours is just 
uh, has really, as other states, as I've talked to legislators from other states, they want to model what we're doing. They want to find out how we're doing it, what we're doing, um, and and how we're always able to stay, you know, ahead of that curve. And I think, you know, guys like you, uh, men and women like like yourself, who've had real world experience. I mean, you know, you, you've got a, obviously a four year degree, a doctoral degree. Um, and, but you've also lived real life, uh, and with your, your time in the military and, and as a physician, you, you really understand what it's like to have, have, have a workforce that's either competent and ready or one that, you know, there's the, the other alternative, which means you don't have it. And that, that really impacts, uh, upward mobility of families and, and people here in our state. We're talking with Grant Campbell. He is running Dr. Grant Campbell. Should I call you Dr. Grant Campbell? Lieutenant it's, Colonel, Grant. A, it's easy. We'll call you Grant. Uh, great friend. Uh, really one of the, one of the great candidates that we have running for office. I think we've done a stellar job uh, at recruiting and recruiting sometimes just means, Hey, that guy raised his hand and we talked to him. You're that guy. You, you want to go do this. And so we're looking forward to having you at the legislature. We'll be back after the break. You're listening to all things sane. You know, WSIC, we're talking with Dr. Grant Campbell, candidate for House District 83. We'll be back in just a moment. Appreciate you listening here on this fine, sunny and cold day. If we lose freedom here, there's no place to escape to. This is the last stand on earth. Thing same with Representative Jason Sane. And welcome back to All Things Sane here on WSIC. I uh, really appreciate you tuning in today. I'm your host, State Representative Jason Sane. Another fun episode. Uh, if you listen to us on the podcast, appreciate that. If you listen to us live during the broadcast, also appreciate that. Today, uh, we are remote. I've got uh, my good friend, Dr. Grant Campbell who is running for the state house. He's running for House District 83, uh, which consists of Cabarrus and Rowan counties. We're talking a little bit, uh, even during the break, about uh, his some of his life experiences and, and how he come to, to, to be where he's at today. Uh, we, all, we all have our, our own individual stories to tell. And I think Grant's is one of the most interesting ones. And I think one of the ones that will be very beneficial to us, uh, not just to his constituents, to, but really to all of us in, in North Carolina, but particularly at the legislature when you start to do your work. Fingers crossed, everything goes your way, and you get elected. Uh, but you, 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 sir, come from a from a, a really humble beginnings. Um, you, know, you grew up in a single parent household. How, how? Tell us about how you grew up and how you got to where you are today. Well, and I tell you, it's simply what probably the easiest way to sum up how I got to where I am today. Any success is because of that mother I had. Is you know, we we grew up. Single parent household, we had our challenges and there were times that we had to rely on the generosity and, and charity of others to get by. Um, but my mom kind of inculcated on us from a very early age that if you want to escape poverty and you want to have independence and you want to have success, then you need to get an education because that's the great equalizer. You know, even if you don't have a lot of money or you don't have a lot of connections, if you perform, Someone's going to take notice of that. So uh, even as a young kid, when you didn't want to, um, she demanded that I do very well in school. She always told us, she said, I'm not going to expect anything that I don't think you're capable of, but I know you're capable of straight A's. So by God, you better come home with straight A's. And there were consequences if I didn't. But I think, you know, doing that and her instilling that discipline in me, I was able to get into UNC to go to college. Um, Got there, fell in love with the place, um, 
I, I, like you said, you said you would forgive me for being a Carolina guy, so I'm going to hold you to it. It's a uh, great school, a beautiful campus. I'll, I'll give you that. Well, thank you. And and it was a great experience for me. I, you know, I made great friends there. I met my wife there. My wife was actually the first girl that I met at Carolina when I got out of the car to move in. Now, I was too chicken for a year to ask her out and I, because she was a sophomore and I was a freshman. I think she finally gave up and asked me out. But I kind of <laughs> got an interest in medical school and was uh, fortunate enough to get accepted into medical school. And uh came to Charlotte for my residency, and then I've been practicing in this area. Now, you know, because of that humble beginning, but getting those opportunities, I kind of fell in love with America. And then there's very few places, and I've been to, I think the last count was 41 different countries. There are very few places on this earth where you can have that kind of opportunity, starting kind of on one of the lower rungs of the economic ladder. And because of that, I felt like I had a debt that I owed to the country and my community. So every part of my life, I feel like I have to dedicate part of it to service, whether it's serving my patients, serving charities. And so a few years after 9-11, they started talking about they had just a desperate shortage of physicians with surgical experience um, to go into combat zones and soldiers were not getting the care that they need. And I talked to my wife about it and she initially thought <laughs> that I was on drugs because we had a young child and we were thinking about number two, but I, I, I felt God's calling to do that. So I'd been in private practice for seven years and decided to join the reserves and at 37 years old, went to officer's basic training in the army. And I was deployed to Iraq in 2010 as a general surgeon uh, and then Afghanistan twice in 2013 and 2015 as a trauma surgeon, with the last rotation being with the uh, U.S. Special Forces. Um, It was tough, but I loved it. I would go back tomorrow if my wife wouldn't kill me if I did. Um, But it it filled that need, that desire to serve, and I was able to work with some of the best men and women this country had to offer. It gave me a perspective that I would have never had had I not not just been in the military, but being in the military in a combat environment really gives you a different perspective and kind of teaches you what's important and sometimes what's not that important. And so uh, in 2018, I finished my reserve time, was honorably discharged as lieutenant colonel, went back to full-time medicine. Um, My wife and I are adjusting to being empty nesters now. Both of our children have flown the, the nest um, but they still come back for laundry and food, obviously, but um, <laughs> not completely off the payroll yet. Right? <laughs> no, not <laughs> off the payroll. Um, but I think that this opportunity to run for the house is, is to fill that need for service. I'm, I'm, I'm not, and I've told people this, and I think Jason would agree. I'm, I'm not a show pony. I'm a workhorse. And my philosophy is if I go up there, I have a job. The bosses are the thousands of people in my district. I report to them. I'm accountable to them. It's not about me. It's about doing the things my community needs. And I think that this will feel, fill that, that gap of needing something for service. And, and God willing, if I'm successful, I'm going to look forward to it. Well, I, I know you will be. Um, and I, I think you come to it with the right approach. Uh, you know, there's, there's, there's a reason you're on this show. And that's because I, I have a, a fondness for you. And I know that you'll be, be a great legislator. And, you know, Republican or Democrat, you know, people 
they always want us to, they want to frame it as, as we're always in a fight and, and not working together. When the reality is, at least at, in the, at the North Carolina House and Senate, um, yeah, there's some issues we, we disagree on, but a, a good majority of what we work on is really about camaraderie and, and understanding and from people from different walks of life, different, different communities, finding a way to find compromise and get things done. And I think that your, your perspective in that, I think, will be a great addition uh, to the House and, 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 quite frankly, to the General Assembly. Uh, you have the right perspective. Uh, you know, folks don't, you know, I, I see candidates sometimes that are running for office and they're going to tell everybody in Raleigh how they, how they were so stupid and that, that they must have been waiting, you know, on, on you to get here uh, so <laughs> you could set everyone right. Uh, it's it's interesting. It might get votes, but the reality is that's not how a, a deliberative body works. Uh, nobody gets elected to be dictator. Uh, nobody gets their way all the time. Uh, and and quite frankly, those who understand how to navigate the process can be really effective. And I think that's where where you will really shine. Uh, again, not to be a show pony, but to do things for your district, to do things for the people of the state. You've already done it. You understand what it means to serve. So I, I think. That in and of itself prepares you for that. Um, but I, but I, you know, I, I go back to, to you've got a, a bigger and better understanding of what it means to be a North Carolinian, uh, to, to come from, you know, uh, maybe not from a place of real privilege, but where you can make it. And that's what I think most legislators, uh, uh, the ones I know and the ones I work with, that's what they want to see happen. What, whatever political bin we come from. Uh, and I think you'll 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 do great with that. Now you are a conservative, and uh, and so we, you know, we're not we're not trying to soft pedal who you are. I mean, you you've got your values, right. and and I think that 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 will matter too because you know we're, we're the Republicans are in the majority. I think it will remain in the majority, and if you're able to come join us, I I think you know you hit the ground running right away, and and with your your different areas of of understanding, I think you you'll be a real success. Well, I appreciate that, Jason, and I'll, I'll, I promise I'll have a work ethic that will rival uh, anyone. And, you know, and I'll, I'll tell folks, you know, I'm, I'm not sugarcoating it. I'm a proud conservative. I'm an unapologetic conservative. I, I can sit down with anyone and, and make a good argument that there's no uh, segment of political philosophy that has shown greater mobility for the less fortunate than conservatism. And so I hope to bring that to Raleigh, but, but I think you're right, as I think that it's important to understand that you're gonna think differently than others up there, but that is not a disqualifier to give other people respect and grace. And, you know, I also understand when I get up there, I'm gonna be working for the people that voted for me, and I'm also gonna be working for the people that didn't vote for me. And I want them to be able to approach me and call me for whatever they need. Um, you don't have to be in my fan club for me to work for you. And I, I think that if you're in that kind of office and you don't have that philosophy, you really need to question what you're doing there. And are you there for the right reasons? Well, that's right. You know, I, I've had, you know, through, through my time there had a, a few interactions where uh, we're kind of the last ditch effort. And, and, and quite frankly, it's a few people who, who didn't want to call my office, but knew that they had to deal with the state legislator to kind of achieve what they needed to achieve and have come back and been very complimentary afterwards going, well, you know, I, you, you kind of went above and beyond, uh, you know, being one, just being nice and courteous and, and, 
you know, look, we give what we get, right? If you if you have the right approach, uh, it, but that's the same way it should be with everything in in, in life, right? Is if as long as you're not a you know a, a general you know lack of a better term butthead, um, you know uh, you you could you can navigate and and so I, I I think you you have that 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 perspective as well that you're not there just to spike the ball, uh, you're not there just to show everyone you know here here's who here's who I am and how great I am. This is this is what what we can do together. And, and that's, that's the fun part about it. You know, when you, when you really can help people, you've done it in your life, you know, and sometimes, you know, you get to help people at their worst, uh, when things are, are not going well for them. Um, you know, I've been a volunteer firefighter and, you know, a lot of times when I see people that is, that is not at their best, right. It is, it is at their worst and things have happened to them. So you've, you've definitely seen that on the battlefield. Uh, you've seen it in, in your medical work, but you've seen it too, really. I mean, you know, sometimes people arrive at community college because they're desperate. Things haven't worked out for them and they give it, this is a one last shot. This is kind of a Hail Mary. So uh, we'll do more than that. We're talking with Dr. Greg Campbell. He is running for state house. He's running for District 83. That is Cabarrus and Rowan counties. We'll be back after the break. Um, we really appreciate you listening. Uh, Grant is one of those rock star candidates that we've recruited, and uh, we're looking forward to getting him to, to the legislature. You're listening to All Things Sane here on WSIC. I'm your host, State Representative Jason Sane. We'll be right back in just a few moments. back to All Things Sane here on WSIC. I am your host, State Representative Jason Sane. Joining me today is Dr. Grant Campbell. He's a candidate for State House. He's running in District 83. It is comprised of Cabarrus and Rowan counties. He's been a candidate before through a little legal mishap, by not him, but by others as they were challenging districts. Uh, he became not a candidate, uh, but this time he's got the district that he's running in and running hard He's going to be running in that March primary that first Tuesday in March. Grant Campbell, thanks for being on the show. It's a pleasure, my friend. Well, it's great to have you. A longtime friend, uh, first time uh, a visitor to the show, uh, but but it's great to have you on. And as as your career uh, launches here, as far as the state house goes, I bet we'll have these conversations a lot. And glad to do it with you. Um, there are a lot of issues that, that bring people to the polls. And I was just downtown in Charlotte a couple of weeks ago with Tart Macari, a councilman there in Charlotte, who's been on the show a good bit, good friend. We game together, among other things. And uh, we were talking about, you know, some of the crime that's happening in downtown Charlotte, a beautiful city, uh, which has been safe most of my life. Uh, I've not, not been scared to go downtown, but uh, to a, a, a rash of things that are happening uh, there, even in Raleigh, we're seeing a lot of that being reported. I know that the part time that I have to spend up there uh, and I live downtown when I'm there, uh, you know, we're just seeing a lot of pickup in crime. Um, are you hearing that on the campaign trail? Are people talking about it? Very much so. And I think that, you know, we'll, we've heard talks about activist judges and things like that. But I think one thing that's getting ignored that needs more attention is something that's terribly abused in the justice system right now. And it's prosecutorial discretion where DAs and prosecutors are making personal and political decisions of who to prosecute, who to not prosecute, who to offer bail, who not to. And I think that what bothers me about that is that you have 
criminals now that know that they can do criminal acts and, and be prosecuted very mildly or not prosecuted at all. And jobs like the DA and prosecutors and the attorney general, they don't have a real good, in, in my personal opinion, a good example to follow with that. And I, I'll, I'll give you a metaphor for that, if I may, is, you know, their job, your job is to do the job and your personal feelings need to be set aside. And, and the story that I'll tell you, I, I think this was third deployment in Afghanistan. There was a firefight where uh, some Taliban insurgents uh, attacked our entry point. They were trying to get inside our operating base and we were able to push them back, but they, one of the Taliban insurgents was pretty severely wounded. And, you know, by military doctrine, if a uh, friend or foe, if they're wounded and we're there, we're going to take care of them. So this guy was loaded into a, a vehicle to brought to what's called the Ford surgical team, which is us. And in the vehicle from the firefight to us, he tried to kill two of the soldiers in the vehicle. So when he arrives to our Ford surgical unit, um, he's his ankles and wrists are zip tied to the stretcher. And usually when casualties come to us is we put our weapons in the locker, but we were told we had to keep our weapons on us. And as I'm evaluating this guy, they said, look, if he breaks free, you guys need to shoot him because he will kill you if you if he gets a second to do it. So we start evaluating him and we get a mortar and a rocket attack. So in that I'm taking care of a patient, I can't go to the bunker. And by rule, what I do is I drape myself over this wounded Taliban insurgent. And I'll get personally, I, I was probably thinking, you know, here I am shielding with my own body, this guy that would rip my throat out if he had the option, but that's the job. You know, by Geneva Conventions and Army Doctrine, you take care of people. And if there's a patient under your care, whether it's friend or foe, you're responsible for them. And I see prosecutors and the AG and the DA the same way. You have a job. Someone does a crime and you are there to prosecute them and to bring accountability to them. And also, by default, by doing your job, you create deterrence for criminals that are still out there to say, well, look, if I do this, I'm going to pay the price. And so you have to put those personal things beside you. You do the job. And I think that we've seen it with judges for a while. We're seeing it more with DAs now than I think we ever have been. And I think that, you know, the legislature has a role in holding them accountable. We need help from the governor and the AG. We're not really getting that right now. Hopefully that's going to change. But we need to say these things. If we're really concerned about crime, and I think the first step is to hold criminals accountable for crime. And then maybe the other guy that's thinking about crime will say, well, look what happened to that guy. Maybe I need to do something a little bit different. I, I just think just like a legislature, there's sometimes you have to put your personal feelings aside and do the job that you swore that you would do. And I think that that's not getting enough attention. And, and we're going to have to bang that drum a little bit harder. Well, I, I couldn't agree with you more. I, I, you know, we can hope for the best in people, but but the reality is, uh, our, our duty is is to to protect citizens of the state, right, and right. to and to make sure that we, we're we're utilizing all the tools that we can with respect to uh, individual rights and so forth. And and part of respecting individual rights is making sure that other individuals aren't committing crime uh, and and impacting the the freedom of others in our state. And and so. Uh, I, I think it's past time. Uh, honestly, it, it's just, 
it's a shame that that we're all right now. I think a lot of us, uh, when we're particularly when we go to bigger cities, but it's even leaking out into uh, your district and my district um, uh, of of you know a lot of this this most of it petty crime, but there's a lot of violent crime happening too. And so you know people when they don't feel safe, uh, you know society remains on edge. And I, I think it, it is past time to do that. It can be done. Uh, you know, just, I mean, your example there, I mean, we're, you'll, you'll, we're all dedicated, I think, to, to making sure that we have a free society that people can, can make choices and you can, you've got a right to be wrong. But, but the minute that, that what your actions, when they start impacting, uh, my personal freedom and, and my ability to operate in a free society, then, then we had to step up and, and we had to hold, we had to hold elected officials accounted accountable too. And we had to, we had to make sure that, that, uh, our, our district attorneys are prosecuting that, you know, the mess around and find out. I mean, it, you know, if you're going to, let's, I think it really is going to take making some examples of some people, not giving them free passes, but saying, no, we're not going to tolerate that as society. I always tell our son, you know, you become what you tolerate. And, and if you tolerate this and that's what we become. And, and so I, I think uh, I, you're hearing it, I'm hearing it. Uh, and, and look, and we do, we, we come from one of the, one of the safer places in the state. But it, but it's so close to us, and and people are very mobile now. Right. Uh, we're we're going to have to be creative and find ways, and, and find ways to empower those who are prosecuting and go after the bad guys, so that the rest of society can can prosper. I mean, I agree. It, it, you said it perfectly. As you know, I'm lucky. You know, Cabarrus and Roanne, our prosecutors get it, and they're doing the job that they're supposed to. But Look, I grew up in the eastern part of the state. I've got friends and family all over the state, and I want everybody to be able to enjoy that security. And it doesn't seem that hard of a recipe that if you're a prosecutor, maybe you should prosecute. Doesn't and maybe I'm not. Uh, you know, I've always said I'm three years from a law degree, but I still think that that probably makes sense. So uh, I just kind of want you know, you and I, we live in communities where. You know, the prosecutors are, are protecting us and doing their jobs, but I want everybody in the state to, to be able to enjoy that. Well, I can remember when I started at UNC Charlotte and uh, moved in with a buddy of mine uh, on campus who, who went to one of the neighboring high schools and we knew each other, uh, good friends. And then, then one of my best friends from, from my high school. And the fourth person was a guy from, from Long Island, New York. And uh, let me just say, he talked different than we did. Uh, great guy, but he had he had a history of teaching how to say yeah. y'all. <laughs> That's right. We had to learn what pie was. It was, it was something very different to him. And uh, but but a good guy, but but had a history of of you know mix ups with the law and and theft and things of that nature. And, and so we asked him one day. We said, uh, I won't say his name, but I, I said, oh, "Well, what keeps you from doing it here?" He goes, "Oh." you guys are crazy. you got guns and, and your police will go after you. That's <laughs> like, well, okay, fair enough. Uh, that's a good deterrent. Uh, but, but the follow-up on that was the police will go after you. And in his mind, you know, the police, the, the district attorneys, you, there's a consequence for what you did. Right. And he'd come from a place where there wasn't many consequences. Um, now he's, you know, made his home here in North Carolina, great guy. So, uh, but, uh, but I remember those, those early days and, you know, as, as three guys from here, we were a little skeptical of the guy from New York. Uh, but ended up being a great friend. But, but you know, people just expect that here. And, and again, if we tolerate it, we become it. If we don't tolerate it, we won't be that. And uh, so that, that'll be a challenge uh, that you'll get to join us on, on, on working on. Uh, there's, there's never uh, a lack of challenges at the legislature. 
uh, as you as you're aware. Uh, it is just life as we take it. We'll, we'll move forward through it. But you're you're running District 83. The the primary is what's it's March March 5th. Since I'm not on the belt. March 5th. Uh, it's it's nice not to have a, a primary, but uh, but you do have a primary. Just rub uh, it so you, in. Just rub it in. You, you, you need folks to come out and vote for you. And, uh, and, uh, so that's, they need to keep that on their calendar. Uh, I guess voting starts in what, six weeks, maybe even sooner. February 15th, early voting starts February 15th. Come early. February 15th. Yeah. Come early and vote. You do have the option to do that in North Carolina. Uh, go out, do your civic duty. Um, Grant, I know you're out there shaking hands and, and, and meeting people, trying to, trying to, you know, really let them know who you are. I think, Today's show is a great way to do that. Glad to have you on. We'll have you on again uh, as topics arise, but good luck to you in your race. Well, I appreciate it, my friend. It's always good to see you, brother. Well, good to see you. And really just a stand-up guy, Grant Campbell. He is running for District 83. So if you live in Rowan and Cabarrus counties, give him a look. Uh, he is He's doing a, a great job uh, running for office. Good friend. Glad to have you on today. Uh, you're listening to All Things Sane. You can find us on the podcast. If you if you caught us live today, that's wonderful. But if you don't get a chance to catch us live, you can watch us on YouTube, LinkedIn, Twitter. Uh, download us with your favorite podcast material. However you do it, you can find us. Uh, glad to have you. We'll be back next week, every Wednesday, 11 to 12. Uh, thanks for listening here on WSIC. We'll be back next Wednesday. Uh, in the meantime, if you need to get a hold of me, it's jason.saine at ncleg.gov. Glad to hear from you. Thanks for listening. The new 105.9, 100.7 WSIC, Statesville, Mooresville, North Charlotte.